Hey, y'all. Welcome back to Shades of Brilliance. I'm your host, Sierra Venable, and we have a good topic today, y'all, because I have been... First off, I've been depressed. Let's just give a little recap because I had to re-record some of the episodes before today because I was so down, you guys. Um, I came back from California and immediately slumped into a depression. And I wasn't sure why. I thought it was the jet lag. And then at one point, I was just internalizing everything, thinking to myself, oh, well, I'm just, I'm washed up. Um, you know, uh, I'm a, I'm a um, what is it called? When you feel like you're an imposter. I don't belong anywhere. I don't belong to anything. I don't belong. You know, I was just like deep in whatever that was and could not figure out what it was. I thought maybe it was the jet lag, the lack of sleep. Um, I was hungry all the time. When you do such a big jet lag, LA is what, eight hours behind the UK, which doesn't sound that crazy, but it is for your body. Um, So I was hungry all the time. I just thought maybe, I don't know, maybe I'm just a little sad or something. Um, No, I figured out what it was. I expected London to just stay the exact same. I had came here, well, not, not came here. I moved here integrated myself into the UK and had a blast the first three months, like went out, really made the most of things and really, really just, just put myself out there. And it felt exhilarating. And so I expected to come back and feel that again. Not that I'm not feeling that, but um, I was not expected to come back and have to have to confront all of the reality of where I was in life. You know, when I first lived here, like for that first three months, I was like on vacation, essentially. I mean, at least mentally, I felt like I was where nothing really mattered because I'm still new and whatever. And I'll go out and I'll try it because I'm new and everything. The excuse, everything was why I'm new. And so I'll just try it and whatever. And who cares? And you got to make the most of it and say yes. And yes, yes, yes. And now I'm like, I can't do that. I'll be here for another year or more, depending on where life takes me. And I can't afford to do, and I don't mean financially, I mean energetically. I cannot afford to be around certain people. I cannot afford to, you know, behave in certain ways. And I'm not talking about partying. I love a little club, okay? I love a dance party. That energizes me. I don't feel drained by by clubbing. Or I shouldn't even say clubbing. I guess what I mean is like a good pub with like good Afro beads. <laughs> that vibe, enter- you know, energizes me. Outings here energize me. It's sometimes people in your magnetic field. Okay? And that's what today's episode is going to be about. So I won't go any further with that. But boy, 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 did I internalize a lot of really rancid energy. And I was thinking to myself... It's my fault. I did something wrong. Had I just done this and then I wouldn't have to do that. And I, you know, I'm something's wrong with me. And what I mean, I literally thought it was wrong. No, honey. Sometimes it's the environment. And so we're going to get into that today. Um, First off, though, I want to do a question. If you're new here, I answer questions on my Instagram story. I'll just throw up a little QA box. Y'all can ask me anything and I answer them. And today's question one of my good friends asked me is hold on I'm trying to find it I should have had it up and ready 
Oh, it's how do you how are you handling the UK and how do you handle like the stress of just one being in a new country and also with so much work, um, which is a great question. I will say this. Um, I don't know, but let me know if you figure it out. I've realized and this is a big part of the um, healing that I really needed to do this week to release a lot of that really bad energy. I needed to realize that this is life, right? Like I kept thinking, oh my God, I don't belong here and nobody wants me. None of that is relevant. It might be true. It might not be true. It's not relevant. Life has changes. That's what it is. And so you either are freaking out because it's changing and you're trying to control everything or you say, okay, this is what it is. Let's get adjusted to it. And so I was around a lot of energy that just wanted to hold on to something and cling on to something and, and control something. And I, I I have to remove myself from that. Like, really, I I used to be such a bad control freak. And I think I still am healing that. But this idea that, like, that's normal. Like, I can't I can't believe that, like, there is so much out of life that is around the corner. You know, that the magic that is life that is, you know, making the most of it taking the lemons and making them into lemonade. Okay. And I know that these are all like, be positive, like kind of that forced positivity kind of jargon, but I'm being serious. Like I really can't handle the glass half empty bullshit where it's just like, oh, you know, I don't know. And, uh, and I was going to do this, but he won't come and, and she won't do, uh-uh. Uh-uh. If you can't have a good time on your own, you need to stay at home. That's my new motto. I'm serious. I think what I've realized, and oh God, I'm going into today's topic, but I've realized that a lot of people dislike themselves. So I'm going to take your question and make, I'm, I'm interpreting that the stress, you know, because the stress in my life lately has been energy. Just who am I letting in my energy? Who is commenting on my life that I'm letting them comment on me and and make assumptions about me that are completely false? And these people will say it to your face. They have no problem saying to your face who you are and they have no problem boxing you in. They want you to be a certain thing. They want you down. They don't want you to like yourself. I realize as I get older how radical it is to like yourself. So I think to answer your question, I've been handling the stress um, by being in my own energy, by rebalancing myself, which has been to do things alone. Okay, so that's where I'm at right now. And I'm wondering if this is just a London phase. People always say, if you've never heard anybody else, um, when you move to places like New York or L.A., like big cities, it something changes you. And it's not really necessarily the city, but it's the energy. It's everybody's, you know, has a new idea and is doing something and is making it or is changing or is doing. It's not like the slow, you know, kind of, um, uh, what is, what is the word? Uh, I was gonna say humble, but that's not a good word because I think we need the humble. We need the, the slow, you know, suburb life, where people are just living very presently, you know, but the city is not like that. So it pushes you to see something new about yourself. 
And um, that's par for the course. You know, that's part of London life. And so it reminds me a lot of New York where, you know, the city, they always say she's going to change you. And that's a good thing. Don't be afraid of change. You know, I think, and when I was living in LA, I made that a huge mental note. Like my mom always, because I told her, I said, I'm really nervous to go to LA. I was like, I really don't want to end up on cocaine somewhere in the ditch. She said, Sierra, well, you're not going to do that. She said, LA is going to rub off on you, but you're going to be fine. And I remember feeling so relieved by that. Like, oh yeah, things are allowed to rub off on me. I'm allowed to change. I'm allowed to, but here's the thing. You want to be in the place where you can take in that stimulus and decide, "Mm, that's not me. That is me though, right? And so I think a lot of people come here and they just coast. They just piggyback on whatever. And there's a rude awakening with that. Woo-wee. Because the city is not kind to you when you are not setting boundaries and really operating in your own space. I'm still trying to feel London out. Obviously, LA and London are two completely different cities, but um, London does feel a little cutthroat. You know, it feels kind of like New York to me, where, you know, there's always somebody better. You could look at it that way, or you could see it as a chance to blossom into who you are. And so that's been my issue. I think also on top of school, I've said this before, my master's program is a lot. Um, it is a lot of work. And it's not even that we all are not qualified as artists or that we all aren't creative. I'm very creative. The problem is there's so much happening and you can't take everything as deep as you might want to. So you've got to pick and choose what your depth is. And so that's been kind of changing the dynamics of our program. It's about, what, 50 of us, 60 of us? And we all have different interests, perspectives, nationalities, goals. And um, a lot of times it can rub up on each other, which I think is the point of the course, right? That like we all don't think the same way. You know, I think that's why they hand selected us from a bunch of different places. Um, that energy is really hard to manage. And I've noticed that about some of my, some of my peers is that they try to manage the energy. Not that that's a bad thing. I just think that it's like a... A response? Could that be a word? Like, um, it's just like a, maybe they're used to doing that. They're used to, you know, functioning in a certain way. We all come from different, completely different school backgrounds and schooling backgrounds. So some of my peers are very perfectionistic. Some of us are just kind of like ready with open arms. Um, We all fall on different levels or different spectrum. I shouldn't say levels, but different spectrums of energy, really. And it's a beautiful thing. I don't mean to say that in like a, some of my peers are, you know, like I actually do respect them. Um, It's not about who is better and who is not, but there definitely is competitive energy. And I've said this before, academia is a burp. It's a, um, I censored myself there. Academia is not kind. I mean, Higher education, postgraduate education is elite. There's no other word for it. It's elitism, right? And so I'm just in a completely different bubble where I'm so, hey, y'all, what y'all doing this weekend? I want to hang out at the pub. And they're like, I have a client. 
I'm like, oh, okay, sorry. Um, anyways, so, (laughs) you know, I'm so, I realize that as an artist, so much of my, what I'm good at is connection, right? All of us artists have soft skills, skills that are not seen, are not seen as like important, right? Like you could be a photographer and okay, you're a great photographer. That's your hard skill. But what makes you a good photographer? Is it that you make people feel comfortable around you? People feel respected around you? What What is that, right? And so I'm realizing through this program that for me, it's connection. I'm good at what I do because I see things beyond what they are. I see through things and I'm able to connect that to things. Hey, this reminds me of that. That energy feels like this. And so what would make that make sense? Um, that's where a lot of my strength lies. And so I think I'm leaning into that, especially as a writer. was not aware until I moved here that I was a writer. I thought to myself, eh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I just do papers. You know, I, I write stuff for school. It, it was always school-based kind of projects, but I'm a writer. I, we, one of our biggest, our first projects we had to do was a zine. And I wrote that thing. I wrote that thing down in the ground, honey. Nobody could tell me nothing. I was like, this is so academically sound. And that's when I realized, oh, I'm a writer. (laughs) Not that I couldn't do, I I could see my career evolving into photography. um, But definitely I'm on the publishing side of things. Definitely I'm at the brains of the industry. And what's so funny is my career advisor, for those of you who have not heard this story, when I first moved to L.A., I went to a school called FITM, Fashion Institute of Design and Merchandising in Los Angeles, and I had a teacher, a professor. No, cut that. She was a career advisor. FITM has this huge program of career coaches because America's all about business, honey. Okay? Nobody will be a starving artist. You're going to go find a job and we're going to help you find one. Okay? So she helped me and she helped me more than she'll ever know. I don't know where she went. I don't think she works for FITM anymore. And it kills me because she was the best. Um, She's the only black career coach, which is why I went to her. And she saw me, like really, really saw me at a time where I didn't know who I was. Like I had changed so rapidly and I was in this big city and I was just struggling to feel grounded to anything. And she told me, she said, Sierra, because I, I went into her office sobbing. And I was like, I don't care. I'll get somebody's coffee at one point. And actually, I can reveal this now. Oh, my God. I was going to be contracted to work with Poosh, Kourtney Kardashian's uh, blog blogging company brand, whatever. Um, they needed like an intern or somebody to, you know, do all this stuff. And she was like, the Kardashians are constantly on the line. I'm going to get you in with Poosh. And I thought to myself, I made it. I remember I called my mom and I was like, I'm going to work for Poosh. I think my mom's heart sank down into her stomach. And she was probably praying, please don't let her around them Kardashians. But I thought, this is my big break. I'm not even kidding you. I was like really thinking that. And it didn't work out. The deal didn't go through. And I went to Simona, my um, career counselor, and I said, I don't know what to do. 
I was like, I don't know what to do. Help me. Like, I'll get somebody coffee. I was like, just get me in with somebody and I'll be the coffee getter. And I'll just slow. And she said, Sierra, I'll never forget her words. She said, Sierra, she said, you're not the coffee getter. She said, the reason they don't want you is because they can see that. She said, I know that it sounds unbelievable to say that to you, but she said, I promise you, you have something that they don't know what to do with. She said, I don't tell all of my students that. She said, there's a lot of students who need to, yeah, they need to go get the coffee and they need to try to pitch the idea in the off hours and go from there. She said, that is not you. She said, you are the person at the fashion show that is connecting. Okay. They need to wear this. They need to wear that. How do I get in touch with them? She said, you, you have something seriously. And I was like, what? And I knew she was not blowing smoke up my butt because she really nailed me to a T. And she said, she just told me, she said, you're at the base of this industry. She said, you are the originator. She said, you're not the coffee getter. She, she looked at me like, if you don't go get your master's and your PhD and come out and publish some things. And I was like, oh my God, I will never forget that conversation because it was, I had, it was a low point. I had, I had a real low when I was living in LA and I thought to myself, I don't care. I'll, I'll open a boutique. <laughs> I thought to myself, I'll have a boutique where I sell the resale fast fashion stuff. And I'll just, I'll sell my soul. Okay. And I'll just have this little boutique downtown LA and I'll just, maybe that, that I'll, I'll have made it then. And she looked at me and she said, Mm-mm. she said, it's, it might take you. She said, you might have a, a hard road ahead of you, but she said, I guarantee you they say something or they see something. And right after that conversation, I went to work for a company in Los Angeles who shall not be named, (laughs) Um, not because they aren't great, but just because it's actually, I don't know, it, it it was a messy experience. I'll just say that. They were an interiors company. Because at the time, I was really thinking I wanted to go into interiors. Um, That's what got me into design. Not fashion, not editorial. It was interiors. I was in love with interior design. I wanted to impact the psychological aspects of environments. Like, I really loved that. Um, But the interior design industry, like so much of the design industry, is so elitist that you know, it's really hard to get your foot in the door if you're not white and blonde. So I wor- went to work for this company and they didn't do traditional interiors for like celebrity clients. They built offices for big uh, brands and clients like LA Rams. They built the LA Rams office. They built Capital Records, like huge, huge, huge um, entertainment companies. And amongst other things, I am actually not allowed to name. Um and I went to work for them and they were in a big rebrand. That's what I was working with them for. Not because I was going to help them design the showroom for the LA Rams um, or any kind of sports facility, but because I was um, helping them rebrand as a company. My little, I was probably what, 21? Yeah, I was 20, 21 years old. And I went in there and I said, this doesn't work. (laughs) It took me a long time because people were ready to just snuff me down. And I'll never forget that energy where I was like, oh my God, 
this is difficult, like trying to get your ideas heard. And um, they had me at this desk and I was they tried to just drown me with busy work so I couldn't actually have an idea or have an idea come through. And at one point, I'll never forget the CEO pulled me aside and said, what do you see in all of this? And I told him verbatim what I thought. And he from there, we grew trust. I helped them build their brand. Um, I pitched them an entire brand style guide. I wasn't getting paid for any of that. I mean, a brand guideline, honey, you need to be getting paid. Oh, my God. Brand guidelines in America for a company like that go for thousands of dollars, like thousands and thousands and thousands. I think for that brand guideline, I wasn't even going to get paid that in the course of working with them. Um, I was getting paid well, but not not like brand guideline type of money. So, and they actually had a designer. They were working with a contracted designer to build their brand. But because they didn't know what they were looking for and because the internal dynamics of the working environment, they couldn't get clarity on what they were doing. Um, and that's something that I will say as somebody who has a lot of branding in like the corporate space or branding experience it exposes all of the inner office dynamics. People think that we're going to go in there and just say, oh, you need a new coat of paint on the walls. It has nothing to do with color. I mean, color is a huge aspect. Yeah. But they're not ready for the fact that to brand, you've got to think about the internal environment and how that's going to be externalized. So they hit a lot of huge bumps in the road and they could, they got to this place where they were like, none of this is working. We've been paying her so much. And, and I said, Here's what I think you want. They their jaws were on the floor. The little the little 20-year-old in the pitch room who pitched them an entire deck. I felt like a king. Okay. I was like, I do have something here. So um I'm forever grateful to her, my career advisor. I need to email her and let her know where I'm where I ended up because she was the one who pushed me to go to UAL. I was like, you think I should try to go for a master's? And she said, Sierra what does your mom think? And I was like, I don't know. She was like, your mom, your black mom doesn't want you to get another degree. (laughs) And I thought to myself, oh God, she's right. So she pushed me to look into programs here. And, um, and I'm here honestly, because of her helping me to just validate me. And so I think in times of stress or whenever I think about what it's like to be on your own and navigate a new place, like there are always people that want to help you and support you. You just have to find them. You can't make the people that don't support you into supporters. They'll never be that. And so, you know, and you'll stumble into the supporters. You'll stumble into the the angels. I call them angels. And I don't just call anybody an angel. If I've, if I've ever called you an angel, I really do see something in you because I don't just call everybody an angel. Okay. Um, it's really a divine thing for me. So Anyway, that's that's that. But this is a great segue into today's topic because today is all about uniqueness and how to handle being unique, okay? Or how to develop that sense of self because, oof, um, it's needed, especially in 2024. I've been trying to tell y'all, authenticity is in, okay? You can't really do much right now unless you're very crystal clear on who you are and what you're doing. So we're going to get into that today. All right. So there's a lot of places we can start with uniqueness. I think I'm just going to go into my 
a version of my life now that maybe can help be a jumping off point. Um, when I came back from LA and I flew into London, first off, it was before, I, I got to the airport. I got to LAX and it hit me that I was going back to my life. My life was not California. My life was not. My life was officially going to be London, UK. And it's not about the city. It was about the fact that for the first three months when I lived here, I was so in bliss over, you know, everything was fun. I was saying yes to everything because why not? I just moved here. Oh, well, you know, I was just living on this kind of fast track. And um, I don't not recommend that. I think that's great when you move to a new city, like especially what I mean, one thing that I will do going forward is like if somebody offers to, oh, come over to this thing, go. At least the first time, because that's how you meet people and like connect in a big city. Um, so it's not that I'm like hunkering down, but you get to this point with living in a new city where the freshness runs out. It's kind of like a relationship. It's really fun in the beginning. The first three months are like, ooh, exhilarating. And then you start hitting those sticky points. Oh, okay. Am I compatible with that? Am I, can I do this anymore? And I knew when I was flying back, I was going to have to confront those things. And I wasn't ready, but it was necessary for my growth. It, it, I mean, I'm still going through it. I'm not over it yet. Um, but I really had a lot of anxiety coming back. Actually, it was dread. It was like, oh my God, I have to go back to London. It had nothing to do with the city and everything to do with me. It was like I had to confront myself. And I want to say that because I had a therapist who offered me such great wisdom a few years ago. And you don't have to think about life this way. You're entitled to think about life in whatever way you want to. It's just a suggestion. But she told me the same thing. She said, a lot of people see life as like a a flat line. Like, you know how those things you, you, you do really well, you go up, 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 and then you crash. And then it's like you peak and then it goes downhill for the most part, kind of like a, a stock. You know, things will be rising and falling, but there's a, generally a trend where you're either going upwards or you're going downwards. Well, she told me that's not, I, I'm encouraging you to see life differently because she said it's more like a helix. She said it's more like a, like those, like, you know, those staircases, those circular staircases that just go up and up and up and up and up. But they're like romantic and dreamy because they're like, they're round. So you know that you're going in circles, but you're also ascending at the same time. And that changed my life because before I was making all these irrational, like fear-based decisions because I was like, I have to achieve this at 25. I've got to get that before I hit this. And she said a lot, society like wants us to think that way. Like society supports that because they want us to be making irrational choices out of fear and from insecurity. Like there would be no beauty industry if women didn't need makeup, right? Like they're they're preying on capitalism preys on our insecurities and our shortcomings. And well, sure, I think makeup is a great thing. I love makeup. I think it's fun. There you can definitely hit a place where like it becomes a lifeline. And I think that that's the point of capitalism, right? Like it's not about a good, healthy amount of money. It's about making the most money, right? Like starving other people with money or for a lack thereof. And so I think about the systems that we're in and it's like, no wonder everybody is sick trying to like achieve quick, quick, quick. And then social media made it so much worse. We're like, now we have to achieve everything by the age of 22. And I just realized when you take a step back, everybody who 
I believe that's truly successful, meaning they might have the job, they might have the husband and the kids or whatever the, the, the checkbox is, but they're themselves. I realize that not a lot of people can say that. And that's one of those things that is not detected. Like we can see celebrities and think, oh God, how cool is she? She might hate her life. Like you really don't know. And so I realized that I don't really want life unless it's really for me. And when you start to do that kind of releasing, you'll just enough. The world is your oyster truly. Um, And so I say all that to say, not because I have it all figured out. I actually say that because that's something I've had to cling to lately as I shift my energy. Um, I, you know, and this is going to come to a, as a surprise to a lot of you, but I really struggled with feeling like I had a place in the world. And I think I still do on some level. I don't know where that comes from. I don't actually, I do know where in some cases it's just, but like a lot of those things, it's kind of like a big hodgepodge of, it could be um, genetic factors. It could be trauma. It could be a number of things. Nobody really knows. And I try not to label it too much because I don't want to like, I don't want to become addicted to that story. Like, oh yeah, this happened to me. And then I did this and now I feel like this, you know, like, but at the same time, um, there's this, I don't know, genetic makeup. And I certainly am a sensitive person. I was just explaining that the other day, like I am highly sensitive. I'm not just sensitive, I'm highly sensitive, which is a completely different thing. They've tried to do all this like psychological research on highly sensitive people. And they find that we're just this very sensitive group of people. Like we just can absorb things to no end. So because of that, we have to protect ourselves and we have to just remove ourselves or you know, find ways to recharge. I have this horrible double-edged sword where I'm not only a highly sensitive person, but I'm an extroverted, highly sensitive person. Say that eight times fast. So that basically means I need connection in order to survive, but I constantly feel different. I constantly feel other or in my own lane by myself because I just, like I said, I can sit there and somebody will tell me a story like (laughs) about something that has nothing to do with their life. And I'll just be like, oh my God, I can feel everything. And that is a gift. It's been great in terms of like success. And I think especially as an artist, a lot of sensitive people are artists, Um, especially highly sensitive people tend to be artists. So it's no surprise that I ended up in this place. But like, I think about that all the time where I'm just like, all those times as a kid where I could just feel like I I would, people would be telling me something totally unrelated and I'd be like, oh, did your mom ever do that? You know? And they were like, yeah, like what? So I was in this horrible position for years where I became like the therapist friend. And I really thought like, wow, that's what I'm here for. The problem with that is, is it depleted me so bad to the point where I felt like I didn't belong. And so that comes up for me still. Like I'll have moments where, you know, again, I've, I've reached this new precipice. I'm on this new level. I'm at a, in my master's program, I have overcome a lot of things to be here. And so it's like triumphant, but then all of this stuff comes up. And I think that that's normal. I don't know if that's a spiritual thing, but I know that that's definitely something that a lot of people, um, a lot of successful people and just, um, people in my life are like, yeah, that's normal. Like you get to this new place in life and you realize 
hold on, here comes the baggage, you know, the baggage is catching up, you know? And so I think you have to just kind of hold space for it, but it really does. You guys, it'll come up in like the weirdest times where you will be like supposed to be really happy or you'll be planning something and then it'll all fall apart and then everything comes up. So when I flew back from LA, all of that stuff came up where I was just like, I'm an imposter. So I've been fighting, I've been tussling with those thoughts lately. And something that has come up for me as I've tried to sift through, create space for myself and move forward, not lay down in those thoughts, but move forward, is the fact that I've always been myself. And I realized lately that not a lot of people like themselves. And I don't mean that in like a negative way. I mean that in like a realistic way. Like, I've, I didn't realize until I got older how many people are just indulging their self-sabotage and just like really resent themselves. Um, and I have moments of life where I don't like myself, but I try not to stay in it. And I know what to do to make myself feel better. I think one of my lifelines is expression. Like I am always on my Instagram story and people will be like, I don't know why you need that. Or I don't know, that doesn't make any sense. And I just will tell myself, Sierra, if it keeps making sense, keep doing it. Because I keep getting in these phases where I feel like people really get in my head and I'll start thinking I should just shut it all down. And I really will have a, a week. Like I had a week a few weeks ago where I just stopped everything. I, I pulled myself back. I tried to water myself down for everybody around me. And it made me so sick to my stomach that I was like, why would I be trying to adjust to this environment and not just be myself? So it's like crazy how our systems are set up for this kind of groupthink mentality. Even academia, like I love my program. It is teaching me so much. I'm learning so much, but it is only a program. Like I have to keep mentally telling myself that because um. There's something about 55, what is it, 60 of us, 50 of us, 60 some artists in a room that'll really just make you go, am I going crazy right now? It's not even a bad thing. I think it's amazing, but there definitely has to be balance to life. And so, because we're all so intense. I mean, we're all so, <laughs> we have different backgrounds. Like I said, some of us are artists, some of us are fine artists, some of us are photographers. Some of us are editorial fashion oriented. You know, I don't know. I think I'm definitely, I don't know if I already said this. I kind of forgot the first segment already, but I definitely am a writer. And I didn't realize that until I got here because I feel like my diary or my documentation of life occurs in a very digital space. Like I love social media for like the small mundane moments that just seem like they're supposed to be ordinary. But for me, it's fun to make them extraordinary. And like I said, if I get to a place where like it becomes really unhealthy, like, and that's why I, people always tell me, why don't you have like so many followers? And I'm like, I don't want them. <laughs> I don't. I actually want to be able to express myself. I don't want a million followers. 
I don't want hundreds of thousands of followers and then people commenting on every single thing that I do. And it shoves me into some corner of the internet where I have to be quiet. You know, like that actually terrifies me. And I think that's a lot of artists back and forth is like having the gift, expressing the gift, but too much exposure can be a negative thing. So, and so I don't know, I think people assume that because I'm putting myself out there that I want exposure. No, no. Um, it really is a serious like art form for me. And it sounds dumb because it could be something as simple as, oh my God, I just saw a man pick his booty. You know, like I was on the train and this man has his legs all spread out. He's picking a wedgie and I just needed to share it. Like that felt important to me in that moment. And so I did it. Um, and I don't know, again, what this will translate into. I kind of feel like it will translate into something, some body of work, some something. But I've always been observational, which makes so much sense now. Like now that I say it out loud, I'm a writer. It makes so much sense because I've always been observational. The observations just have always been oral, right? Like I was the kid in class who had to sit in the corner and face the wall. I couldn't even handle being around the quiet kid because I would corrupt the quiet kid into becoming a talker. Like it's always been coming out of me. It's it's not something that I can control. And I think that's my frustration with reaching new heights, right? Where you hit a new level of self-growth and you reach a new part of yourself and you're excited to share that with people. But the reality is these are new people who don't really know who you are yet. So they love your energy at first, you know, and I've had a bunch of people around me who love my energy, but in some shape or form, they're not ready for me. They will start resenting me. Um, they want me to be, be, be in a place. They want to put me in some kind of a place. And it's weird, but it's none of my business. Like I'm at the place where I'm just like, that is none of my business. And this is not anybody in particular. And I'm not, I'm not going to go into that. And I'm also not going to go into, you know, whether I think that's a bad thing, because I actually don't. I think that everybody's at different places in life. I don't resent anybody. I don't hate anybody. But I do realize that like, some of us just shine. And I think ev that's my issue. I actually think everybody has a gift and everybody shines, but not everybody knows where that is, you know? And so we're, again, so conditioned to go external with everything. Who am I? I need a boyfriend. I need a this. I need that. I need to cling to this. I need to have that. Once I have that designer object, I'll finally be here. And it's like, it's dumb because it just keeps you in the cycle. You never actually develop a sense of self. and so. I know there's a lot of theorists who have a lot of a huge bone to pick with capitalism and the systems that we live in, in terms of individuality. But I actually am more of one of those people who thinks it's, it's a mix. Certainly um, the material possessions can become too much, right? Like your entire personality cannot be that you have a designer wardrobe. It's kind of why celebrities or people that are rich, how do you have so much money and you don't have a style? Like people that don't have money who are scraping at the freaking Goodwill bins, they're thrifting on the weekends to try to pull together a sense of style. They wish they had $300 for a bag or for a boot. And you have all this money and you can't even pull a look together. You know, that's because it's just got to be in you. 
It's got to be a, there are things in you that you have to water and nurture. And I'm realizing how important that is. Something about coming back to the UK, I realized how important it is for me to nurture me and like be around people who also have something they want to nurture. Like we can be nurturing two different things, but are you pouring your cup into something that's going to water you? Because a lot of people are just dumping their cup into other people. And I used to do the same thing. I, I am still healing from those things. Like I am not above this. I guess I just, it's hitting me. Like as I set boundaries and like as I've had to like pull myself back and like pull my energy back, um, you know, turning down plans, saying no. You know, I said yes for the three months, the first three months I lived here. Now I got to say no because I've really got to discover like, what would actually fill my cup this weekend? Especially when we're working, we're working overtime on this program, y'all. I was like, eh, it's just school. It's just a master's program. I'll be able to work. No, we are literally working probably 60 some hours a week. I mean, I'm serious. We have two briefs right now. We're working on two separate clients. We have to have an entire uh, video shoot, photo shoot, girl. So with all of that work, you need energy to pour into. And I feel so dumb. I was talking to my friend um, at this party. I, I went to this party the other week and I just got so emotional. I shouldn't have gone to the party. Honestly, I should have pulled my energy back and did what I said I was going to do then. But I went anyway because I was like, oh, look, I want to go party. Because again, as an extrovert, I never know if the outing is going to fill my cup or drain my cup. Like I got to get better at detecting that because social outings do fill my cup. Like a little Afrobeats night at the pub, I will be there. Like we we had some event we were going to go to. I was going to go to this event called Afroland. <laughs> and my friends started canceling. They were like, I don't know if I can go, whatever. And I was like, that's okay. Because I would never miss something called Afroland. Like, I, I just got to the point where I'm like, Sierra, it doesn't matter. Like, do what you need to do. If you need to go to Afroland by yourself and rave alone around 1,500 strangers, go ahead and do that. Because I would never, like, me miss Afroland? Please. So then postponing the event and it never went through anyway. But think about those things that, like, are in your life that you just can't afford to miss. I just can't afford to miss Afroland. You know? 10 pounds ain't nothing on Afroland. I would be there. And I'm going to go when they redo it in March. So it's stuff like that. But I was talking to my friend at this party and he was giving me all this good advice because I was just a basket case, honey. I was like, oh my God, I don't know what to do. I was just like, I feel so. And I was talking to him about code switching because when you're black, you code switch for anybody that doesn't know what code switching is. I don't, should I, should, do I have to explain code switching? <laughs> I'm like, are, are there not black people listening to me? Like, do I have to explain code switching? It's basically this thing where like you have a real self and then you have like the white supremacy version of you. And oh my God, there's such a good quote. I was at the portrait gallery today. See how important it is to just go to galleries by yourself. I was getting all this insight from these um, these black uh, scholars, artists, everything. So, and I will say as a quick seg side note, I almost said segue, but it's a side note. 
my favorite activity to do if you're ever in a big city alone, if you're doing a solo trip or if you live in a big city and you're like, I don't know what to do, but I want to do something, take a Uber, taxi, tube, train, whatever, go to a portrait gallery or some kind of like, yeah, no, a portrait gallery, like especially the American one in D.C., have a little champagne, a little glass of champagne or pregame as hard as you want, and then go find all the black people in this gallery. Their stories are way more fascinating than all the colonizers in there. I mean, the colonial stories are interesting too, but like reading the captions when they have to explain, like at this point, Britain, Great Britain was besties with India. And you're just like, really, really? That you guys were negotiating with India? Were you negotiating or were you choking every aspect of their culture, their resources? Like, I'm sure the writers lost their mind trying to like put that together in a politically correct way. But that's my favorite thing to do. Like find a gallery, have a little glass of wine because you want to feel a little woozy as you go find all the black people. I don't know why. It's it's really fun for me. So I went into this gallery today and um, George Lamming, I actually, I forgot who he was, but he wrote this book called the Castle of My Skin. And he says, they won't know you, the you that's hidden somewhere in the castle of your skin. And that just perfectly articulates the black experience. Um, like you have an entire sense of self that nobody will ever see because their racism, their internalized, like white supremacy keeps them from really seeing you. And that's my issue. Like when I talk about uniqueness, when I talk about like being yourself, I've always struggled with being seen because I have no problem being seen. I prefer it. I love myself. Like genuinely, not in a, not even in like an obnoxious way. Like I genuinely don't see the point in hating myself. Like it it is a radical act of anti-white supremacy to like who you are even if you are white. It's an ad, it's a radical act of self-love to say no. I'm going to like who I am. I'm going to like the skin that I'm in. And so I was talking to this person, a friend of mine who is black. We're both artists and we're both in this program. And I was just like, dude, I, I can't handle much more of the code switching. Like, again, we've reached a new level, right? So we're not on BA anymore. We're on MA. It requires more and I feel more unheard. It's like a new level of just um, being unheard again. And so I was dealing with all that emotion and I was basically confiding in him. And he was like, you've got to have stuff for yourself. And I, oh my God, it struck me. Like it literally struck me like a lightning bolt on the side of my neck because I was like, he's right. So much I'm concerned. I'm always so concerned that like I'm giving too much of my energy away, not even because I, I feel depleted. Like again, there are energy givers in my life, like storying. My Instagram story, my creative outlet that is, hey guys, what's going on? I'm doing makeup today and I'm going to go to the store and I'm like vlogging that kind of whatever that process could be titled. That gives me energy. I like sharing the th crazy thoughts that pop into my head when I see certain things and I'm like, that needs to be a meme. I love it. But people's reactions to what I do is the draining part. 
people's opinions. Notice who gives you an opinion. There's people who have no problem being like, and it's, what's interesting is people respect me for it. Like I'm not, I don't think it, I don't think I come across as like an influencer or somebody who, because even if I was, that'd be my business. But I don't think I come across as like somebody who wants to sell something, which is why people love my social media because they're like, I genuinely feel more accepted. And that's my goal. Like, but that's also what drives me. I want to build connection. That's my, that's my talent. My talent is nothing more than bridging connection. Truly. I think people over romanticize it. They overcomplicate what it is that they do. If you're a photographer, I guarantee you what makes you a good photographer is not the camera that you have. And it is everything to do with the way you see people or the way you see that object. There's something to that. It's way deeper than just like, oh, I'm a really good, you know, fashion designer. What makes you a good fashion designer? Is it that you can see things beyond, you know, conception? Um, conception? I don't know. I, I really don't know. I'm I'm just, I guess I'm making things up now. But like when you think about um TV hosts, like what makes them good is not that they can read the prompter, it's that they, you know, have this gift of delivering information. And like that could be what your gift is. It doesn't have to be this, oh, I'm a gifted artist who paints left and right. Sometimes the gift is so much smaller, but more important than what we think it has to be. And so as somebody who is very much in touch with their gift, and it kind of drives this uniqueness and this um, this like individuality, I, I've got to be really careful with codependency because I realize that some people are just so excited to be around me. And then that excitement will wear off and then it becomes like negative, like really nasty out of nowhere. And then I'm just like, what? And I've been, I don't really know. I don't really have solutions. I'm still like navigating things and going through things. But one of my new mottos is like, do not give your friends the opportunity. Oh, I don't even know if I should say friends, but do not give people the opportunity to hurt you if you can help it. Sometimes, again, look. Life is life. Sometimes you can't prevent being hurt. Like, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is, like, there are people in my life that I respect, and I respect them too much to hurt me. Like, I'm not going to even let you hurt me because I don't even want to see you that way. Does that make sense? Not that I'm going to accept the behavior. That's what's got to change, right? But it's like, because I respect you and because I see something in you that you may not see, I'm not even going to entertain this, this behavior, right? And that's what's really difficult about like navigating relationships, especially as a sensitive person, is that we crave depth. I crave depth. Like I don't, like I, I've gotten better at doing the whole surface level thing where you get to know somebody over time, you know, I used to just dive into the deep zone and I'm trying to not like, I'm trying to just be more chill and just be more surface and get to know people and then decide where I want to go, how deep I want to go. Um, but with that being said, like, I, I feel like I can see the good in people and I don't want to lose that. 
Like, I really don't want to lose that. I think the amount of times I've been wronged or treated like crap from people, I'm just like, I still somehow see the good in new people, you know, getting hurt and then getting back up and giving somebody else a try, giving somebody else the opportunity to get your full undivided respect. I mean, that's really difficult and that's important to me. I used to think I had a moment recently where I was just like, I don't care anymore. Like, I'll be a bitch. I'll not post on Instagram. You know, I will just harden myself into this thing that I hate. And my mom was like, please do not do that. She was like, please do not lower and water yourself down. And I was like, oh my God, that's what I would be doing. Because I am this really extra extravagant, loud person. And that's my business. Like, that's me. And so it wouldn't make sense for me to be in relationship with somebody who needed me to be smaller than them. And I say this all the time to women who have degrees and have jobs and are really doing something for themselves when they're struggling in the dating space. It's like, no, 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 no. What you don't understand is that when you're not getting approached by men, that's a good thing. Like, you don't want a man who doesn't deserve you to approach you and waste your time. And they certainly don't want women who have low, who have high standards. And that's a good thing that you can differentiate. You can walk into the room and already discern yourself away from the men who are going to waste your time. That's an amazing thing. Like I, I'm realizing how powerful and great that is. Because I have so many, especially my black friends, like my black girlfriends, like they really, we really beat ourselves up about men because we're like hoping that oh, hopefully he likes black girls. Hopefully he likes me. Hopefully he's not like that. No, fix your crown. Like it's a good thing that you're not, because here's the thing, the men love us. Okay. I can't speak for what it's like to be another race. I'm, I've only ever been black. But the men love us. Like even when they're not hitting on us or approaching us, they're obsessed. They're intrigued. And so let that be enough. You don't need to go on some kind of bender if that's not what you want. I mean, if, if you want that, then please, you know, be my guest. But what I mean is like, don't beat yourself up for things not looking the way you think they should in relationships because chances are, they're not entertaining you because they don't even want you to have to lower your standards for them. Like, that's what's crazy is I have so many men who I, I've like maybe pretended to lower my standards for. Like, I'll be trying to act like, ah, and they're like turned off because they can see that that's not me. So it's like, if you have high standards, just have high standards. Like, don't, don't try to become something that you're not because you want something that isn't for you. You know, and I think that's what's difficult is remembering that there is something around the corner. There is something coming. There's always something coming. When you say no to something, you say yes to something new. Like I really, that hit me this last month. I had, I had a tough month. January was really hard for me. I mean, I really had to sit myself down and say, what do you need to do? And I needed to get my nails done. <laughs> Of course. And I needed to just have a dinner alone out. And it was tough. I mean, I sat there. People were running in with their kids. The worst thing is when you you get your 
um, you get up the guts, you know, to go have dinner by yourself or to do something by yourself that you know is going to fill your cup. And then a family runs in and they're all, honey, come sit down. And you're like, oh, God, as if I couldn't feel more alone. Here's a nice, loving family that's like 10 deep, 10 people deep that's just going to sit down right next to me. I mean, and you're just like, dang. But it's like, you know what? This is the phase of life to have a, a Cosmo. Um, actually, I don't like Cosmos. I prefer the, uh, how do I say this on without getting like, de- what, um, corn star, a corn star martini. <laughs> Those are my favorite. Um, just take yourself or maybe you don't even have to drink. Oh my God. Maybe you could also just have dinner. Like I went to dinner tonight and it was great. Like just me, like it's, it is, it really is great. And I think I used to fear so much that like my uniqueness would push people away. And the reality is, is it did, but I'm still standing, you know, and you have to keep going to find the people that will like your uniqueness. Well, that's not, that's not true. I think people like uniqueness. I think people are gravitated by uniqueness, but that doesn't mean that they are in the same place. You know, and so that's what's been difficult for me is like, it's just, it's difficult. It's like, okay, you know, we're both good friends or we're both, yay, like you love my energy. But it's like, if you can't reciprocate, then I don't know what I can do about that. Nothing. I can't do anything. Like, I'm not, I can't control that. I used to control. I used to think I could control people. I was like, I'm going to control them and make them do this and do that. And that's not, you can't operate that way. And so anyways, um, anyways, yeah, (laughs) you can't control and yeah, your uniqueness might push people away, but that's okay. And the more of us that become unique, the better it'll be because then we'll all be able to hang out. Um, and I guess I shouldn't say that because everybody is unique. It's not that some people are unique and some people aren't. It's that some people haven't realized their uniqueness yet. Like they haven't, or they're not, they don't want it. You know, they're like, oh, I don't want this. I don't want whatever makes me, me. And I get it. It's, it's hard to acknowledge when our society is like plastic surgery obsessed, like just deform yourself into something that you're not. I mean, it's it's really hard to hold on to. And I don't even mean just in terms of physicality, because you might have a, a face full of filler and still have, you know, a sense of self. So it's really an innate thing. Um, but like I said, I think some people um, maybe resent it. They resent what makes them them or they haven't come to terms with it. I don't really know that I know. Um, but you're not as as the unique you know, as somebody who wants to feel more unique and wants to be empowered by the uniqueness and is worried that you might push people away, if you're in that place, like I am, um, it's okay. They're, you're going to attract new things. I think we attract things all the time. It's just about what you're attracting. You know, where does your water go? Where do, what do you water? Where does your energy go? Because it's very important. Um, I didn't. I didn't want it to be so important, but it is. And I think that's why SZA says, 20-something, ain't got nothing, running from love, wish you were here, oh, 
Stuck in the 20 somethings. Stuck in the 20 somethings. Because that's how I feel. I feel stuck. Okay? Stuck in the 20s. Okay? <laughs> so that's today's episode. Um, oh, I feel so shade the brilliance coded this episode because my podcast is all about uniqueness and a space to just validate and like process the wonky and the beauty and everything intelligent about life. Um, Because I do believe that everybody is brilliant. I think we can learn something from everybody. So with that being said, I'll see you next Friday or Saturday, depending on which country you're in. In the UK, it'll be Saturday. In America, it'll be Friday. All righty. Bye, y'all.